industry is one of the fastest growing career forces in the world today. There are so many issues in the healthcare field these days relating to nurses that simply are not discussed in the media. Welcome to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing with Leanne Meyer. Our program will help you with the most relevant information if you're in the nursing field or are planning to enter the industry. Now, here is your host, Leanne Meyer. Welcome to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing. And I am so happy to have everybody back and be able to talk together here. Um, Today's episode is called Nurses Are Drowning and What Can They Use Right Now? Uh, I've had a number of uh, uh, guests on and talking about various aspects of this problem, but there's so many different ways of uh, approaching it. So um, we are going to talk about it again today. I I was thinking about it this morning that there is a Chinese curse that says, may you live in interesting times. And there are few people in the world that can deny that this is true for us right now. It takes people of courage, creativity, and determination to turn a period in history like this into a positive experience. In fact, there are perhaps more people than we might think that are really doing this right now. So think of the innovators coming up with a vaccine, people who are changing how they work, live, play to optimize their situations and help other people in their environment. Uh, Then there is also this comment that I uh, overheard uh, from my driver's training instructor when I was 16. Uh, He was speaking to my friend who was driving. She had a major fear of running into a mailbox, and she dealt with it by keeping her eye on that mailbox to be sure it didn't get in her way. And what would happen, of course, is the car went directly where she was looking. So Mr. Schmidt would blast her with, keep your eyes on where you want to go because you will end up where you're looking. Well, I was sitting in the back seat, and I filed that little piece of wisdom away, realizing that it applied to a lot more than driving. And um, and so today we're going to look at how we're looking uh, at the situations that we're dealing with. So my guest today is Steve Gavitorta, and uh, um, he reminds me a lot of Mr. Schmidt. Steve recently wrote a book called In Defense of Adversity. So let that sink in for just a minute, in defense of adversity. And then the next part of it is turning your toughest challenges into your greatest success. I love it. Uh, Steve and I are here today to look at this from the perspective of being a nurse or healthcare worker in the era of COVID. So Steve, uh, welcome to the show. I'm so happy you were able to come on. Thank you. It's a pleasure being here and uh, speaking to what I call nursing being, uh, if not the noblest profession, one of the noblest professions for sure. So I'm honored to be here. Thank you. I'm sure we all appreciate that little bit of praise is nice. So tell us a little bit about your bio. And um, I know that you've worked in different aspects and and right now you're doing consultation. Uh, So just give us a little bit of a bio and how you got to this point where you're talking about using adversity to your advantage. Yeah, um, I've owned my company, Steve Gavitorta Group, for about 17 years, a coaching, training, consulting company. I really go in and try to uncover my clients' uh, professional and business needs and build relevant uh, training and development solutions for those respective needs. It could be training. It could be webinar-based coaching. It could be 
full boat consulting. It's really going to depend on their respective needs. Um, prior to the 17 years, I spent 21 years in corporate America, primarily with the consumer brands divisions of pharmaceutical companies. So mm-hmm. products you can buy in a grocery store, a, a Walmart or a Target, things of that nature. And I um, spent uh, 21 years there, 17 owning my own business. When I was in corporate America, I always had a love for training, developing people. I was fortunate to work for a company that had great training, and I knew the importance of it in people's success. And I felt as I progressed through corporate America, companies were pulling away from that. And I always felt that was important and wanted to pull away and start my own business. And I did so 17 years ago. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Go ahead. Oh, good. I'm sorry. Now, I was going to say the part of adversity coming around, that, that's an interesting subject. Um, I'm actually from a, originally from a small coaling, coal mining town in western Pennsylvania called Burgettstown. And that whole area is known for coal mines, steel mills, and it was really a natural draw in, back in the day for immigrant families to come find work. So uh, it's kind of funny. I grew up with every ethnic group possible because they came <laughs> there, again, to find work. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and the beautiful thing um, – Several years ago, I was with my father, and I, I had never seen where he grew up. And you have to understand, Leon, this little town, it, these houses that these immigrant families lived in were nothing special. They were small tenement mm-hmm. houses where you owned eight people, possibly. So they're right. not real attractive uh, houses, let's put it that way. But as I was driving through the neighborhood, my father pointed to his house. He was a successful, successful entrepreneur himself, said, that's where I grew up pointed to another house, and that's where Dr. Spinogians grew up, pointed to another house, that's where Dr. Morotis grew up, there's where Dr. Strassi grew up. And it really dawned on me, what a wonderful story that we had all these immigrant families mm-hmm. come to this area, not speaking English, let alone each other's language, and became doctors, lawyers, businessmen and women, professional athletes, uh, college football coaches. I mean, it was really a great story. And as I started researching these families and a lot of this, inform- this, this background of them coming here, the common denominator that I found that really stuck out that made these families and their, and their uh, 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 subsequent families after so successful was the adversity that they faced and overcame. The adversity didn't break them. It made mm-hmm. them. And mm-hmm. uh, that's, uh, that's, that's, that's the origin of the book, In Defense of Adversity. Yeah, so we're going to talk about some of those things, those characteristics, those things we can learn about ourselves that can make us more resilient uh, in times of adversity. And since we're right in the middle of it, this is good timing. Uh, So what I wanted to do is to create a little scenario so that we could maybe work off of that scenario and keep coming back to it. And you had mentioned that you had dealt with uh, one that maybe we can use if you'd like to explain that. Sure, sure. I, I didn't mention in, uh, when I first started, uh, part of my consulting world, I've done a great deal of work with nurse managers, nurse leaders, and staff. I've uh, coached and trained over 90, 90 nurse leaders in a large hospital system in Tampa. I've been a guest speaker at various nursing organizations and whatnot. So I, I know your pain points in many ways from my, my dealings with, uh, with the, the nurse, uh, nurse arena. But a story that I shared with you earlier, um, I was speaking to an organization called Tampa Bay Organization of Nurse Executives. 
after I spoke, a I think it was she was the dean of nursing at, at University of South Florida spoke, and she was talking about the nurse training for uh, you know that they were offering at USF, and she told a story about um, they were doing they were practicing code reds with the, some of the stu or code blues. I'm code sorry, blue, yeah, that's okay. Code blue, yeah. So so I think they had a, a team of five or four going in, the, you know, practicing the code blue. And as they went in to practice what they had learned to deal effectively deal with the code blue, blue the le- nurse leader suddenly froze. She forgot what to do. She forgot her training and forgot everything she was taught and just froze in the moment. Another nurse subsequently slapped her and yelled at her <laughs> and kind of took over what she needed to do. So uh-huh. she just uh, shared that story with us just to kind of talk about some of the dynamics that are going on in nursing and what they're trying to prepare them for. And it really dawned on me the importance of a lot of what I talk about and maintaining what I call that rational mindset in the face of adversity in that, and not right. falling into an emotional state of freeze, fight, or flight like actually both nurses did in that code blue, the first nurse. Right. Uh, forgot all her training. She shut down. She froze. The other nurse, you know, overreacted and got angry. So we hear you have two uh, nurse leaders during a life-threatening situation falling into an emotional state of freeze, fight, or flight where they are not uh, as productive as they need to be, obviously. Right. So we know that that nursing and, and all aspects of healthcare um, are really life and death situations. So um, there's always going to be some conflict. There's going to be some disagreement on how people look at things. But in these situations, we're adding to that where people are exhausted. Everyone on the team is exhausted. Um, the pressure, the uh, uh, the the realization that this is something we're dealing with that we don't really know how to deal with. So it's very um, easy for our emotions, for um, our frustrations to come out. And so we're going to talk a little bit today about what we can do in the moment to um, rein in some of that. Uh, and uh, um, so um, I think the best place to go, let's go to the brain and let's see what you yeah. have to share with us about what's happening up there. Yeah, and I'm going to tell a story of, uh, I'll talk a little bit about what I talk in the book about understanding our brains and brain functionality and how that can help us optimize our performance in any endeavor. And actually, how I learned about that uh, was from a gentleman who actually did face a life-threatening situation. So it really ties together with your lead in there. But I talk about two important parts of our brain, uh, first being the limbic system. And that is also that is known as our emotional brain. That's what we're born with, and it does not grow, transform, and evolve through time and through experiences. So when we're functioning in that limbic part of our brain, our response to an adverse situation is going to be emotional, freeze, fight, or flight. As you can imagine, when you're in an emotional, high-charge situation, being in a freeze, fight, or flight mode or some combination of those is not a productive place to be because you're not thinking clear. You're not able to solve problems. You may say the wrong things. You may shut down or you may get angry, just like that example I told you during the code blue. So um, that, that, that's one part of the brain. And the limbic system was fine when we were babies or cavemen and women. When we were babies, 
you know, when we were hungry, we cried, and that allowed our parents to feed us. When we were cavemen or women, um, when, our, when a dinosaur came, we knew to run. That was our limbic system in play. And it does serve a purpose, but not in effectively dealing with adverse situations. The second part of our brain is known as the cortex, also known as our rational brain. That does grow, transform, and evolve through time, through our learnings and experiences in life, both good and bad, through our training and development, uh, through our education system. Um, everything in life offer, offers us an opportunity, again, especially the adverse things we face, as an opportunity, as I say, to build our cortex muscle, to realize we have options. We do not have to respond emotionally to adverse situations or ambiguity or, or, or to a person who may be driving us nuts. The key is to stay in that rational state of mind. Only when we're in that rational state of mind will we solve problems, will we say the right things, will we have creative thinking in the light of obstacles. Now, I learned this from, uh, I do martial arts. I, I learned this from one of my kickboxing instructors. His name's Eric Parker. Eric Parker is a very interesting guy. He was a former Marine, former SWAT team leader on the Indianapolis Police Force, canine handler, a certified trainer in, in various uh, tactical munitions, both chemical and, I guess, artillery, you would call it. Uh, he was an undefeated kickboxer, 13-0. and 0. Uh, he owned his own business, and now he's a private banker for Morgan Stanley. He's quite an interesting guy. But he was the one that taught me about the brain functionality, especially in how he used it in training me in martial arts. But he doesn't only – he doesn't just talk the talk. He walks the walk. Uh, he shared a story with me, and I share in my book, when he was leading as a SWAT team leader, a drug raid. He was holding a shotgun. They entered the, the, the place where they were doing the raid. He was immediately shot in the head. He had a helmet on. Then he was shot in the arm, and it flayed his right arm, put him on the ground, put him down. His whole right arm was flayed wide open, couldn't use a shotgun anymore. He told me what saved his life, talking about life-threatening situations, he told me what saved his life was his ability to fall back on his training and stay in the cortex, in that rational state of mind. And because he was able to do so, he was able to fire back using his non-shooting hand one-handed and reload his pistol three times. Mm. So to your point, you know, this importance of our brain, how it functions under duress, is life-saving in many ways. Mm -hmm. um, Eric Carter shared a great quote with me that 33% of police officers killed in the line of duty by felonious assault did nothing to prevent their own death. In mm. fact, they witnessed it. Why didn't they respond? Because they were stuck in that limbic space system. They thought they were out of options, so they froze. They got angry. Whatever that was, they didn't fall back on their training and development. So through our experiences, our training and development, our life experiences, we provide options in our lives to handle adverse or difficult situations in a positive light through our experiences. And the interesting thing is um, I like that, that you're talking about options. Because that's, I think, where a lot of people get into trouble. If you have a very black and white, very um, uh, dual kind of uh, philosophy or way of looking at things, it's this or it's that. And if neither of those work, then I'm screwed. 
And what I like to think about is that if there is a continuum, think of a long line that has worst possible thing that can happen, best possible thing that can happen, and then there's a thousand or a hundred thousand things in between there that are possible. And the more we can keep ourselves open to those options, to those possibilities, um, the more possibility we're going to have to work it out well. So how does this fit into our situation? It comes back to uh, when we're in that, say, code blue, and maybe you're coming in and there are people um, who are answering the code blue call that maybe are people you don't know or people that you have not um, interacted with before or people perhaps you don't feel as much trust with as other people that you have been in a team. So those team efforts, when you know what each person is going to do, it's almost like you can read each other's minds. It works very slick and you can often you know, do some pretty amazing things in a short period of time. What we're going to talk about is when we don't have that uh, when you're you're having to try and problem solve as you're going along Um, and so again keeping in mind options are good one of the things that I've noticed uh, in the career that I had when I was doing training is that oftentimes the managers got a lot of different kinds of training that the frontline staff did not get and um, you and I were talking earlier about things like disc training which is uh, personality or leadership uh, uh, aspects. Uh, and then Myers-Briggs is something that we're both familiar with. And are, do you remember, I'm spacing on the name of the, the uh, assessment that's both Myers-Briggs and DISC? It has colors. I'm not sure. Yeah, well, all of them have colors. I'm not sure yeah. what the blend would be. Yeah, they're all, you know, I, I am a big proponent of any Carl Jung-based personality or behavioral assessment. Yeah. I'm mm-hmm. certified in DISC yeah. and Myers-Briggs, and I think anything we can do to invest in ourselves to understand right. our behavior better. How are we yes. motivated? How do we behave? How do we communicate? How do we mm-hmm. deal with change, risk, and conflict and adversity? How do we make decisions? The more we can understand that in ourselves first, we can be better leaders and if we exactly. can read those similar attributes in those people we're leading, we're going to get the best out of them as well, too. Mm-hmm. And my philosophy about nursing is that every nurse is both a leader and a follower. It just depends on what the right. situation is, and um, we right. need to move in and out of those. So uh, if you're somebody who has not had the advantage of, of having a personality assessment and or uh, leadership assessment, I really encourage you to do that. There's tremendous amount that you can learn about yourself and other people that really help you in that moment to not overreact. So let's talk about that a little bit. Um, we've we've talked about the limbic and and um, the rational brain. What about um, I, a lot of people have heard of emotional intelligence? And um, do you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I, I come this from the, the belief. I'm a much bigger believer. I, I shouldn't say believer, but I'm a much more. I would rather have someone with high emotional intelligence many times than uh, than having IQ. Um, I firmly believe that any successful person, any successful leader, in, especially in very intense situations like the nursing world, healthcare, that those people with higher emotional intelligence are going to be more successful. They are going to be better able to deal with uh, uncertainty, adversity, ambiguity, 
change, all these situational dynamics that affect us in, in, in our workplace or in pers- our professional, personal, professional lives. Steve, I'm, I'm going to stop as oh, I yes. just was realizing sure. that we're at the point where we should be taking a break. And I'd really like to have okay. more time for this. So let's let's talk, oh, go into a little more depth about it when we get back. So this is Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, Exploring the World of Nursing. I'm Leanne Meyer, and I'm here today with uh, Steve Gabatorta, and he is with the Steve Gabatorta Group, um, does a lot of consulting, and he has recently written a book um, called Defense of Adversity, Turning Your Toughest Challenges into Your Greatest Success. We'll be back in just a couple minutes. Listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Now there's a new destination for video content, VoiceAmerica.tv. Just like our radio channels and so much more. Voice America Variety, Health and Wellness, Business, Sports, Green Talk, Power Up Motorsports, and 7th Wave Network now have their own video channel components. Plus, check out exclusive programming, including movies, music, educational courses, science and history, current events, and short features. High-definition, premier-quality programs available 24-7. VoiceAmerica.tv. If you think you've seen online TV like this before, let us surprise WomenInHealthcare.org, a national nonprofit, is our newest partner at Once a Nurse. It is among the most rapidly growing professional development groups for women in healthcare today. Through healthcare education, professional development, mentorship, community, and a focus on self, the organization empowers women with the tools needed to advance their careers. They use initiatives to break down barriers within organizations and equip women with the tools needed to open a powerful force for gender parity. 80% of the healthcare workforce is female, with nurses a massive majority of that percentage. But less than 20% of leadership is female. Join womeninhealthcare.org as they help all women of all ages and all levels rise up. Use code HEALTHPROS to receive $50 off the annual membership fee and receive discounted pricing for events, free resources, webinars, and a substantial discount for our annual leadership summit on October 22, 2020. WomenInHealthcare.org to be where you want to be in the world of healthcare. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing with host Leanne Meyer. To reach the program today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to leannevoiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse. Welcome back, and thank you for staying with us. This is Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, Exploring the World of Nursing. And I'm here with Steve uh, Gavatorta, and he has uh, written recently a book called In Defense of Adversity, Turning Your Toughest Challenges into Your Greatest Success. And so we've been talking about different aspects of the mind and how it works and things that we can actually um, grow and develop in ourselves so that in that uh, difficult situation, we have that already available to us. And we were just starting into talking about emotional uh, uh, intelligence. So Steve, do you want to take it on from there? may not know what EQ is. Let me make a comparison. Most people know what IQ is, your intelligence quotient. 
Um, you can be, just to kind of put a real-world example to the difference between the two, I can be a high IQ person, be brilliant, go to Harvard, get my MBA. Um, but if I'm prone to easily getting frustrated or angry, I'm not productive. If I can set other people, if, I get, if I'm not getting along with others, if I irritate people, if I'm, I frustrate others, I am no longer productive, despite how smart I am and despite what degrees I have. So the emotional intelligence side of those things are how well aware are you at your emotions um, and how well can you read the emotions of others so you can build great relationships, you can have optimal leadership or development as a human being, and you can help others develop as well, too. So I, 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 I would take high EQ people in a New York minute, um, but the best of the both worlds would be, you know, having a high IQ, high EQ person. Um, two, three important attributes associated with emotional intelligence. One is having strong intrapersonal skills, self-awareness into your behavior, your communication, how you're motivated, how you deal with change, risk, and conflict, how you deal with ambiguity and adversity. The more I can understand that myself, the more I'm going to be able to self-manage myself, especially during difficult times. If I know I'm prone to anger, if I know I get flustered with change, that's a great awareness that helps me better self-manage when those things may come, come into my life. The second part of that is interpersonal skills. How well can I interact and engage and read, essentially, the behaviors of others? How well do I know the motivators of those people I'm leading? How well do I know how my team deals with change, adversity, ambiguity? Because the more, again, I can know about them, the more I'm going to be able to lead them. Listen, we all have different fingerprints. We all have different DNA. Doesn't it make sense that we have different behavior styles? We have different communication styles. We have different motivators. Strong leaders, highly successful people, have that understanding for themselves, those intrapersonal skills and interpersonal skills. That is an ex a good exhibit of high emotional intelligence. In addition, the last uh, piece is if we have high intrapersonal skills, high interpersonal skills, we are going to be able to be more resilient, persevere more effectively, make wiser decisions, solve problems in light of obstacles. So the importance of knowing yourself, knowing who those people are you're leading and how well we communicate, how well we are, how different we are motivated and how well we deal with these situational dynamics such as adversity, ambiguity, change, and problems, the more successful we're going to be in life and especially in, in, in our workplace situation in an intense environment such as healthcare and nursing. So, you know, using our, our code experience, um, if there are people listening that have not had this kind of training, um, didn't even know maybe it was it was a thing, it was something that they could do or they could grow uh, in themselves. Um, so they're in the situation and they know things are not going really well. Is there anything they can do in the moment that might uh, help them get things back on course? Yeah, let's take a, a step back. I think, um, going back to Eric Parker, when he stated that the police officers felt they were out of options, or when he stayed in that cortex part of his brain, basically what he was saying is, fall back on your training and development. Fall back on what you've learned in 
your schooling or what your, your training and development for a nurse or for a salesperson, because that is going to allow us to have those options. I, I would gather to say there's not many um, professions in the world that has better training than nursing. Nursing's got to have the best, I would think. And in that instance of that code blue, both nurses, most likely, the one that froze and the one that got angry, forgot their training. <laughs> they, you know, mm-hmm. when you go in that code blue, you're prepared for, you should be prepared for that. And the first person who froze most likely forgot all those things she learned. So you have to realize, number one, the importance of training when those adverse situations are, you've got to be able to connect the dots between what's happening now and what was I trained on during this situation. And that can help keep you in that calm, cool, collected state. And once again, the more you can realize yourself, what are those things, what I call emotional triggers that can set you into that emotional state of freeze, fight, or flight? And what does it feel like when you're in that moment? Are you a freezer, fighter, flighter, or some combination of those three? So when you're in that moment, especially nurses, fall back on your training whenever you can. And then secondly, really realize what are those things that can trigger me in an emotional state, such as freeze, fight, or flight. It could be an adverse event, a situation, a person. You know, one of your colleagues could set you in that emotional state of freeze, fight, or flight. Your manager can set you in that state of freeze, fight, or flight. A patient can set you in that space of freeze, fight, or flight. So it's imperative. You've got to become more aware of what are those situations, events, and people who can trigger me. What does it feel like in me so I can, in turn, better self-manage? So I've what we're, ta- been able what to we're talking about then oh, is kind of like high-level communication high-level functioning, which every adult, especially in in this time period, uh, needs to have. So we're not talking about something bad, that if you don't have that or you haven't learned these things, you're talking about, okay, uh, I am now in an adverse position. I can be upset about being here and complain and, you know, uh, whatever, make excuses. Or I can take this opportunity to really grow in those areas that I haven't grown before. Um, and maybe Absolutely. that comes, maybe it comes back into the um, emotional um, intellect also, when um, you're giving the other person a benefit of the doubt too, that maybe they're not at this moment operating at their, you know, primary, but rather than yelling or screaming at them, uh, realizing that there is a way that you can give them hints. I've had doctors who have called out the wrong orders uh, for medications, and I've, you know, repeated back the order to them. If they didn't catch it then, I'd say, you know, uh, I think you might be wanting blank. And a lot of times they would just look at you like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe I just, you know, said the wrong thing. So... Well, you, that's, that's a great example. In that code blue example, the first lead nurse who froze, you know, she was not functioning at her optimal capacity. When the other one, nurse got mad at her, she was no longer functioning at optimal capacity. Based on what you had just said, if that second nurse would have said, listen, I, can't, I don't know who her name was, listen, Sue, what did you learn? What's mm-hmm. step number one we do on a code blue or, or whatever? What did you learn? Let's get, let's get in here. She would have been more aware of, of, of her own EQ and read the EQ or the dynamics of the nurse had shut down. She could have maybe gotten her out of that. Right. The, the response, the angry response of, of the emotional response of fight did not help in that moment. So very much what you're right. saying 
if, if that other nurse had that high emotional intelligence, she would have recognized this dynamic and knew she had options to help that other nurse maybe fall back on her past experiences, her training, everything she was taught to do when this mm-hmm. intense, uh, difficult situation occurred. Yeah, so uh, another thing that comes across with the emotional intelligence, I think, is, again, giving yourself credit, um, not being so hard on yourself. If you can learn to be not so hard on yourself, you often can learn to not be so hard on other people. And for me, it's what happens after that situation. So, okay, you're in the code, you've got to deal with the code, There's, there's no way to get out of that, you have to you know, snap yourself back into your cortex and start thinking, what are my options? What do we need to do here and get through it? But once it's done, then there's an opportunity, uh, if possible, to pull each, maybe whoever was in charge pulls uh, those two people aside and uh, allows them some time to cool down and talk about what happened. And um, That's right. so I think you called it, uh, I call it a, uh, like a nursing huddle, and you called it something else. What did you call it? Situational? Yeah, I called it, yeah, situational debrief. And what uh-huh. that does, it allows us to look back at a perceived, I'm going to call it a perceived failure, because I look at every, I look at it as failures. Anything that happened in our life, to your point, what you were just saying, is placed in our, in our lap to help us essentially grow, transform, and evolve into the people we were meant to become. We just have to realize that very much what you were saying. But what a situational debrief is, it's a four-step process to revisit past perceived failures or unsuccessful situations and view them when you're in their rational state of mind. Right. So you can connect dots between that particular situation and revisit that in a positive light. Uh, the four right. steps are basically, let's take that code blue as an example. You know, okay. the, the, the teacher, the professor could have got those uh, two ladies together and said, let's, let's capture that situation. Let's revisit it. What happened? Then that's step number one, capture the situation, relive the situation. Step two is review outcomes, good, bad, or indifferent. So what happened? You know, let's capture the situation. What happened from that good, bad, or indifferent? Thirdly is, what are key learnings we could have taken? What could you have done differently that you didn't before? And what you want to do is try to connect the dots between um, what happened and relink those to the training. So now that these people can see, based on what I learned from this, I could have fallen back on what you taught me in this class or so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. And then the last step is revisit. What's your plan of action? What would you do next time you handle this? So capture this situation review the outcomes, what are key learnings and takeaways, and then what would you do differently moving forward? That allows you to see that negative situation in a positive light, training or growing your cortex so the next time it happens, you've created an option for yourself to handle this difficult situation in more of a positive light. Does that make sense? Yeah, and that comes down too to the training. You know, obviously you're doing the code blue training, but how often are you doing it? I had an instructor That's that right. used to say, as you walk down the hall, no, every day, however many times you do, think in terms of if there was a code blue right now, what would I do? Or where would I be at? Right. Like she was talking in terms of every minute of your day, be thinking in terms of what can I get down, get done now before something 
terrible happens that I won't be able to um, do it later. Um, the other thing right. with this is perception. And I think we had talked about this a different time too, or maybe I saw it in your book, but that perception yeah. that each person comes to it from a different perception. So when you That's stand right. back at a time when you're not both angry or you're frustrated or whatever, but you can stand back and look at it almost like you're reviewing it like a video. Um, you know, it may be that the person who slapped the woman thought she had, you know, gone into some sort of funk or whatever, and she was angry, you know, yeah. to get her going. But maybe the person who froze suddenly realized that the the patient was somebody she knew, maybe knew closely, yeah. and suddenly froze. That's it's right. like... You know, when it's somebody you know, everything you know goes, your, your training goes right out of your brain and suddenly you're, you're <laughs> that right. daughter or, or wife or whatever else it is that, um, that that patient is to you. So those are some, some of the things, too, that can, you know, kind of have, you, you can get a different view of who that person was um, because right. you start to understand where they were coming from when they did whatever it was they did. That's right. And again, that opportunity, let no adverse situation go to waste, so to speak. We could talk about perception a little bit later, but um, if we look at every every difficult situation as an opportunity to grow, that is mm -hmm. going to help us be willing to learn a lesson. And that, uh, that situational debrief allows us to reconnect the dots between the training and the result. And that's a great, you know, those difficult times are the perfect time for it to happen in training. So it doesn't happen, you know, in the real, in the real life situation. So that was an opportunity in that instance for the professor to relink the training with the results. And a systematic uh, situational debrief is a four-step process that can once again help nurse leaders, nurse staff relink um, past non-successful events to how that could be successful so it can prepare them down the road for future mm -hmm. type events or similar type events. This might be a good place to take a break. Um, the one thing that just occurred to me is our self-talk. What do we say to ourselves uh, about whatever happened? Um, many times nurses will blame themselves uh, and take more responsibility than they actually have in the situation. Uh, so maybe we can talk about that a little bit when we come back. Um, this is Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, Exploring the World of Nursing. I am Leanne Meyer, and today we're talking about nurses are drowning. What can they use right now? And I'm uh, my guest today is Steve Gavitorta. He is owner of Steve Gavitorta um, Group, and he just wrote a book called In Defense of Adversity, Turning Your Toughest Challenges into Your Greatest Success. And we'll be right back. Your life, your health, your network. This is Voice America Health & Wellness. WomenInHealthcare.org, a national nonprofit, is our newest partner at Once a Nurse. It is among the most rapidly growing professional development groups for women in healthcare today. Through healthcare education, professional development, mentorship, community, and a focus on self, the organization empowers women with the tools needed to advance their careers. They use initiatives to break down barriers within organizations and equip women with the tools needed to open a powerful force for gender parity. 
80% of the healthcare workforce is female, with nurses a massive majority of that percentage. But less than 20% of leadership is female. Join womeninhealthcare.org as they help all women of all ages and all levels rise up. Use code HEALTHPROS to receive $50 off the annual membership fee and receive discounted pricing for events, free resources, webinars, and a substantial discount for our annual Leadership Summit on October 22nd, 2020 womeninhealthcare.org to be where you want to be in the world of healthcare. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. The Voice America Live Events Channel is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. Voice America is where you are and where you want to be. Join us around the globe as we broadcast live from some of the most interesting events available. Don't forget to view all our live events, including on-demand access to past events that you may have missed by visiting voiceamerica.com forward slash live events. Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health and Wellness. Listening to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing with host Leanne Meyer. To reach the program today, please call 1 866 472 5792. That's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to leannevoiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse. Welcome back, and we. Uh, this is Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, Exploring the World of Nursing. I am Leanne Meyer, and today um, our episode is called Nurses Are Drowning, What Can They Use Right Now? And Steve Gavitorta is, been, oh, is being a wonderful guest here and sharing lots of different pieces of information that I think can be valuable for all of us. So when we went on the break, uh, we were talking about the self-talk that we do and how that can actually be helpful to us or it can be um, uh, harmful to us. So Steve, um, do you want to talk about that a little bit? Sure. Sure. I, you know, I think that self-talk is, is usually important and um, because that's going to drive our perception of, a, of how we're dealing with a given situation. And I think it's important for people to realize I talked a little bit earlier about triggers and responses. What are those events, situations, or people that trigger us? And what is our response from an emotional perspective if we're put in that limbic system? Are we freezers, fighters, and flighters, or some combination of those? So I think 
a lot of our self-talk is going to vary depend on our depending on our behavioral style. Someone who's a type A personality, um, very aggressive, doesn't like making mistakes. Their self-talk can be very different from a from a nurse who's very concerned about the patient health and and wanting to help people and wanting to take care of them. Not saying that the other type A personality doesn't want to do that that they are just driven more by doing the right thing, being successful more so than that caring, you know, worried about that person from a personality base. Um, there's other people who, who the self-talk can be all generated from the fear of making a mistake or, mm-hmm. or, or taking a risk or doing something out of their, uh, their, their comfort zone. So the more, again, a nurse can understand the attributes from a behavioral perspective about themselves, the more they're going to raise that EQ and, once again, have better self-talk, better pep talk, so to speak, instead <laughs> of allowing them to fall in that limbic state. It's imperative that your pep talk is going to keep you in that rational state of being. So surround yourself, I'd say, with motivational things, things that can keep you happy. Find um, tips and, or things you can do to, to decompress, get away from the situation so you're ensuring you have good self-talk, so to speak. Maybe it's stepping away from a situation if you can. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe it's leaning on a mentor or a coach mm-hmm. to talk to them and see help, have them see things from a vantage point you're not seeing because you're not seeing, seeing right. things clearly. So I think the self-talk, if you need to learn more, what are those things that can set you in a negative state so you can avoid it, number one. Make sure your self-talk or your habits are staying in that positive frame of mind so you don't allow yourself to fall into a bad emotional state. Does, is yeah. that, and you follow what I'm saying? With yeah, that? yeah, I think, and, and we talked earlier about perception in ad, uh, adversity. Um, say a little bit more about that in, in this kind of a situation. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and I don't want to sound flippant because, again, the world of nursing, it's, it's, it's heavy. You know, it's, it's a tough world. It, is, it can be life-threatening, and especially what we're going with. Uh, the COVID-19 dynamic, but I talk about in my book, perception, looking at two things, looking at our perception of adversity and how that can help us uh, become, grow, transform, and evolve into the pers- people we were meant to become. So I talk about two parts. Number one is accepting that adversity or difficult people or ambiguity or change is a part of life. We can't avoid that no matter how much we try. Some people, we mm-hmm. like shielding ourselves from it. But we have to realize that adversity is going to strike. Difficulties are going to strike. That's number one. Because I believe that ties into keeping us in that rational state of mind. If, we, if, if change happens, we don't like, we're gonna, we get angry or we shut down. We're putting ourselves into that limbic state. So we have to try to avoid that. So accepting that adversity, ambiguity, uncertainty, difficult people are a part of life. Then, secondly, we can acknowledge that this situation, this person, is an opportunity to help me grow, transform, evolve into the person we, we were meant to mm-hmm. become. And when adversity strikes, you know, we, we are better at assertively facing those obstacles, hopefully successfully overcoming them. But at, at the least, like you said earlier, learn a valuable lesson, build some perseverance and resilience for those times when they happen down the road. Right. So one of my yeah. favorite quotes, you know, I, I, oh, I'm sorry. No, go ahead, finish it. No, I was going to say, I believe any lesson we need to learn in life is delivered to us through Mother Nature. 
And I love one of my favorite quotes is a gem cannot be perfected without friction, nor can man be perfected without trials. Mm-hmm. And essentially, you know, you think of an, of an ugly, dirty looking piece of coal becomes this beautiful diamond through years and years of pressure. And I think that's a great metaphor for our lives, that the adverse adversity brought in our lives is essentially meant to refine us into the people we were meant to become. And again, I don't want to sound flippant because the nursing world is very difficult. Right. But it's imperative that we look at our difficulties as a chance to solve a problem, grow, deal with it differently than we had. Because once we fall into that emotional state of freeze, fight, or flight, despair, anger, right. fear, we're no longer productive. Right. Steve, let's, um, we're, we're getting kind of close to the end here. So in just a minute or so, I was thinking of, uh, we don't always realize that what we do or how we uh, interact, like uh, our, tr- our triggers, we might actually be triggering other people. Uh, That's right. Or we may be responding to somebody else's trigger. Do you want to just spend a minute on that? <clears throat> Yeah, that, that is one of the biggest, that's why I think emotional intelligence is so important for leaders. Because if I'm a leader of a team, a department of an organization, again, if I'm prone to anger, if I'm prone easily to frustration, if I take control of situations and do it myself because I'm frustrated, I am no longer productive as a leader. That's number one. Number two, there's a good chance it is going to affect your team. If I'm losing my patience and getting angry all the time, there's a good chance there's members of my team who are going to respond in kind. They're going to get angry back. They're going to shut down. They're going to fall into that emotional state. So that's why it's so important to lead, for leaders to grow their emotional intelligence so they are functioning at, at that optimal mindset level, staying patient, calm, cool, collected in that rational state of mind. So they keep their teams in that calm, cool, collected state of mind as well, too, because when we are both not functioning at optimal brain level, so to speak, in that cortex, we're not productive. As a leader, you sure as heck can put others in that negative state of mind. So you've got to not do that. In addition, know what triggers your people. There might be some people that, you know, we're going through a big change initiative, um, some people like change, some don't like mm. change. It's imperative mm-hmm. for that leader to know those dynamics of his or her team. Who is more embracing of a new idea or change or out-of-the-box thinking? Who's not so much? And what do I need to do as a leader to help that person better embrace what we're trying to do? If that leader can understand those dynamics in his, his or her team and lead them through that, they're going to be more successful. But it's imperative that all parties are functioning at that optimal cortex uh, rational thinking capacity. Right. And that's why an organization, if they can more be thinking ahead of time, when there's not a crisis going on like this, um, how can we train our staff so that we're all kind of, we can speak the same language, we can come to each oh, other right. from similar um, points of view and, and training. So um, we're actually at a point that um, I should uh, say, is there anything that you would like nurses around the world to know if there's one thing you want to make sure they understand about this, what would it be? Yeah, the number one thing is this. When when I say uncomfortable situation, it can be change, ambiguity, adversity, whatever sets you in that negative, potentially could set you that negative uh, point of freeze, fight, or flight. The number one thing you need to do is this. Prevent the transfer of authority 
from the cortex to the limbic system, meaning mm. stay in that rational state of mind. Because once you're angry, you can't get unangry right away. When you're mm-hmm. shut down, you cannot get unshut down right away. It could take time, and that time is going to depending, be dependent on you and the severity of that situation. In that time, you may say the wrong things. You may make a bad decision. You may not be able to think clearly and be able to solve problems. So it's imperative to raise that awareness so when, it, when an uncomfortable situation strikes, you do not, you know you have options. You can fall back on your training. You don't have to let those triggers hit you. Uh, you, you don't have to fall into that freeze fight or flight mode because once again, when you do, that's not good. So prevent the transfer of authority from your rational brain to the limbic brain and you'll be able to solve problems just no matter what they are. Yeah, that's really good. And and even at the end of that, when you know you have not behaved in your best self, to not just let it go away and hope nobody will remember it, but to really take that opportunity to pull in whoever it was that was at the brunt of whatever you gave and really talk right. about it, um, apologize, sincerely apologize, right. not just, oh, well, you know, I was, I was, I was uh, angry. Uh, and walk away. That's not an apology. An apology really says to That's the right. other person, I understand that what I did harmed you in some way. That's right. And I truly don't want to do that again. Maybe we can figure out a That's way right. that we could um, warn each other, that sort of thing. That's right. So, Absolutely. yeah. So we are really close to the end here. So so I just wanted to uh, thank you so much, Steve, for coming. Um, I wanted to just say a few more words, but I did want to uh, make sure that you knew that I appreciate you being here. Um, so My honor, my honor. Thank you. Uh, this okay. is not uh, the first world disaster that the Earth has met, and I guarantee it will not be the last. But it is our world disaster, and I believe that each of us can step up with whatever gifts and talents we have to together find solutions. And there's a quote that I ran across today, and it seemed appropriate. The only way for human beings to change is for them to conquer their inner darkness and rediscover the eternal dignity within their own lives, cultivating the noble spirit with which all people are endowed, will directly lead to a change in the destiny of humankind. And this was by a Japanese poet poet laureate, Daisaku Ikeda, one of my favorite poets. And um, this is the way things have always worked their way out of tough situations. Um, You have to ask yourself, do I want to be a part of the problem or do I want to be part of the, the solution? Thank you so much for joining us today. We will be talking next Monday. Make it a great week. And thank you, Steve. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing with your host, Leanne Meyer. Be sure to join us again next Monday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a productive and insightful week.